0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the Whistleblowers, like a phoenix rising from the ashes of the Whistleblowers Daily Show, the new weekly version is here take you through all the action from the weekend just gone. There was another week of absolutely nothing from Tottenham, a thriller at the city ground, an incredible late show at the Emirates and of course, one of the most remarkable scorelines of the season so far as Liverpool annihilated Man United 7, open brackets, S-E-V-E-N, close brackets, nil at Anfield. Joining me to go through all of this is Gareth Dobson, a voice all whistleblowers OGs will recognise, and sadly for him, a Spurs fan. Gareth, thanks for coming on the show after what must have been a pretty traumatic weekend for you. How are you feeling? Um, generally good. I'll be
0: honest, it was, yeah, it's not been a good weekend if sports spurs. I mean, many of them aren't, but yeah, you, you at least look for some Charlemne Freud when your team loses, You're like, well, hopefully, you know, your your bitter rivals will lose and Chelsea managed to win their first game in 600 years and Arsenal <laughs> went from being, you know, the, oh, they've bowled it, they've gone full Spursy to, oh, wow, Arsenal are going to win the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a way, you're lucky that the result uh, Anfield happened because it took every... It took it took the attention away from every single world event. And yes. I think just placed it all on United's shoulders and on Liverpool's shoulders. And I think that was really good of them, actually. And I think we should... We've got to start there, haven't we? There's nowhere else we can possibly start other than Anfield yesterday. It finished 7-0 to Liverpool, if you haven't read any papers or seen anything in the media. 7-0 to Liverpool. Gareth I assume you saw the game... Um, it was a strange one, wasn't it? Because that first half was actually pretty positive from United, and in that second half, you're a Spurs fan. You must have seen this before. Absolute total collapse. Like I don't think I've seen a, a team as high up the table perform like that before. Like I just don't think I've ever seen players not be asked. <laughs> they couldn't be asked. Gareth, talk me through it.
0: I, I mean, like you said, the the first half was was pretty balanced. I, I think that even when you know, Liverpool score towards the end, my assumption was that United would, you know, come out, kick on, show why they're, you know, one of the, the form teams since, since the, the World Cup break. And it just didn't happen. The only thing it reminded me of in terms of expectation versus quality of team was Brazil's capitulation to Germany in the World Cup. Um, yeah. Good shout. In, in that sense that, you know, the first couple went in and you're like, okay, well they'll, they'll pull it together. Then, the look in their eyes when, you know, three and four, and it's like they didn't know what to do. And, you know, it was almost like they were, their brains just melted. They malfunctioned and went, well, it's just, we can't stop this. This is inevitable. And I think even, I, I, I assume it was uh, uh, Gary Neville on comms was saying, this happens. This happens at Anfield. Teams come in, they hit a buzzword and they have, they just can't do anything about it. And I thought he called it perfectly. There was, you have those games where you realize after the third goal that there's going to be more. It was utterly yeah. inevitable at that point, but even, yeah, like I said, even, you know, one nil, two nil, you're like, okay, this one goal for United and there's a game here. Liverpool are not robust. Liverpool can't see our games. And, and maybe they, they realize that and somewhere between, you know, offense, uh, attack being the best form of defense, but also maybe this gleefulness of having such a, torrid
1: kind of month
0: or a few weeks and
1: and just feeling that yeah they, they can yeah just go really for it. from from, yeah. from the start of the year they've been pretty poor and you could see there was just a, a a sigh of relief when the sort of third or fourth goal went in that it felt like Liverpool I don't think they're back back yet but it certainly felt like they they were playing with a freedom we haven't seen for so long but it helps when you're playing essentially what was a team of under 10s who didn't know the basics of of how to sit and see out 10 minutes. Just see out 10 minutes and it might stop the bleeding and it couldn't do that. And every time Liverpool got the ball, you just thought, well, this is it, United are done. The, the, the goal straight after half-time, I just thought was sort of embarrassing and it was two or three minutes after half-time and from then on, that, that, was, that was sort of it really, wasn't it? I've been raving about United this season because I've been talking about how it, it shows that if you sign two or three leaders, you can really turn a team around. And you know Casemiro's in, and and Martinez is in. Certainly, they're leaders. They're vocal. They they get things done. Varane has has played well this season. He's certainly a leader as well. I think you could say in in previous games, Fernandez has been a, a leader as well. And yet, yeah. yesterday they all went to pieces. And I really. Didn't I've never expected that from those sorts of players. To see them all do it on the same time, on the same day, was just was very, very odd. Um, let's listen to Sam Pilger. He's a United fan and a football writer. Here's Sam Pilger on what he made of yesterday's game.
2: Today was a day that was both surprising and not surprising. Not surprising that United always had a defeat in them. They've been playing midweek and weekend for so long, uh eking out results, as we've seen against West Ham when they scored three goals in the last 15 minutes. And everything has gone their way. So many victories, so many late wins, a trophy, a a win over Barcelona. So a defeat wasn't a surprise for an exhausted players who, who, who you can't just keep winning, that doesn't happen. But what the surprise was, was it was so emphatic and 7-0 and that a team that had shown such character crumbled horribly in the second half and conceded 45 uh (laughs) felt like 45 goals (laughs) conceded uh seven goals in the space of 45 um minutes for united it it that was the shock that was the shock a defeat wasn't a 2-0 a 3-1 wasn't a huge surprise but to lose in that manner uh will have shocked ten Hag, i'm sure but united was similarly embarrassed by City 6-3 um, in, uh, in October and came back to beat them in the return leg. Ten Hag has already shown he has the ability to bounce back from terrible defeats. He's still in the early months of what has so far been a successful, hugely successful rebuild. Um, he's the only manager. English managers so far to win a major trophy, United beat Barcelona, they've also this season beaten every single team of consequence they've played, um, Tottenham, Arsenal, Manchester City, Liverpool, Barcelona, Newcastle in a cup final, so there's a huge amount for United fans who will be hurting horribly tonight to uh, to, to, to cling on to, but... Um, there's also, you know, the, all the cliches are trotted out. It's it's important how they bounce back. Real Betis on Thursday in the Europa League, and then Southampton at Old Trafford in the, in the Premier League. Um, it is important how United bounce back, um, and the hope is that United finish this season with at least one trophy, uh, a place in the top four, and and huge amount of optimism because of all the the glorious and wonderful things that were being said about them before this game. Maybe have been dented a bit, but remain largely uh, true. But uh, a sobering, unpleasant <laughs> day for United.
1: That was Sam Pilger a football writer and Man United fan. Uh, he's right to to try and maintain some perspective, though, isn't he, Gareth? Yes, a horrendous, horrendous result and performance. But it's a pretty good season really so far, and they can still have a fantastic outcome to the season, can't they? Oh,
0: absolutely. I, it's and I think it's the only way you you can deal with it. It it would be you know a travesty if this define their season I mean their season should be defined by looking back at you know Ten Hag's game was it the second or third game against Brentford when you know ever the knives are out and it's like you know they they they've picked this herald Mander again he's got the wrong players he can't do anything with this and you know one or two acquisitions I think Casemiro's maybe on the bench that day had just come in and they have progressed so far um but yeah if you you could turn around and say like you know like you said, this was coming, it's, they have probably overperformed in terms of yeah. the expectations and, and and the team they looked like in, in August.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, we're in danger though here of just talking about how poor United were. Let's talk about how good Liverpool were because I know Gary Neville on comms and certainly after the game talking to Graham Souness, which by the way was just a boring schoolboy farce I thought. And there's been a lot of celebration about how great it was. Oh Souness, oh Neville. Look, I thought it was just a bit embarrassing, to be honest. But Neville's wrong. Liverpool did play very well. Maybe not as well as they have done in the last two or three years, but they played very well yesterday. And I think it's the first time we've seen that front three look like it could maybe fill those shoes of uh, Mane, Firmino, and and Salah.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's probably you know in a couple of weeks when you know the, the score lines in the. Uh, the middle distance a little bit. That should be the most exciting thing The the potential that, you know, the Klopp and, and his team have potentially found, yeah you know, the replacements. So I, I think it, I was going to say, I think Mane's loss has been under, undervalued this season, but I think it's now been said so many times, he's probably been fairly valued, but yep. he, he was such a huge loss and, you know, bringing in a slew of players. You know, Let's not forget. They've got other players, other attackers coming back from, from injury. They, they should be well equipped up front. It probably doesn't change the fact that their midfield needs not so much an overhaul as just a complete fresh set of players. But, um, yeah. but I that, think wasn't, that you, didn't seem like a
1: problem yesterday, did it?
0: No, it didn't. And I, again, maybe that's quite surprising given that that's where Manchester United are probably the most improved this season. That's the area of the field where you know they've really turned things around. But I think if with those in place, then they're they're all. Very young players. I mean, obviously, apart from uh, Salah, but um, I think local fans will be incredibly pleased that he's gone from five six weeks ago, being like maybe this was a contract too far. To oh, you know what? He's still one of the
1: best players in the world. Absolutely, um, yeah. I think also in terms of that centre midfield, you know, if Liverpool get top four, which uh, we'll get onto Spurs after the break, but if Liverpool get that top four position, that's that's good for their finances. That means they probably can stretch to. A big marquee centre midfielder, and you know a lot of the chat is about Jude Bellingham. Now, I think Bellingham is is a player of such quality that whatever team he goes to has a shot of winning the league. Yep, and whether Definitely that's Liverpool, certain... whether it's Man City, or whatever, I feel like he could transform that Liverpool midfield almost on his own.
0: Yeah, there, there's certain upgrades you can make to a team that you know are far beyond the average transfer. I mean, Casemiro again is the one where he's been worth. You know more than one player, if you will. Look at when um Liverpool, were, uh, sorry, Chelsea went and brought uh Angola Kante. The 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 change in in their midfield when they brought him in, some players just have you know that sort of almost alchemic effect where it just you know the whole team is is immediately transformed or improved Absolutely, as a result.
1: Yeah. And Liverpool have had a few of those over the last two years. I mean, Van Dyke was that sort of player. <laughs> Um, I don't want Bellingham to go to Liverpool and it's not because I don't like Liverpool it's it's purely because I love the fact we've got a player who stars for England and they, we don't have this tribal nonsense around him because he plays for Liverpool or he plays for Man United we can all as England fans just enjoy him and I like that I want him to go to Real Madrid so we can collectively hate him a little bit rather than just have half the country hate him a lot well it's, it's exactly like you know back in 2002 when this
0: mystical godlike England midfielder called Owen Hargreaves turned up and he was going to change everything and you yeah. know what you didn't know was was the thing that m- most excited you apparently he can play midfield and right wing and left yeah. wing and he's, he's got, got a weird accent this is perfect he's Canadian um, <laughs> so you yeah, know Drew yeah. Bellin the next Owen Hargreaves you've heard it here first <laughs>
1: Well, get that on the uh, get it on the blurb. Right, we'll take a short break. After which, we'll talk about Spurs. We'll talk about um, Arsenal. Sadly, um, but yeah, stay tuned. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers, I'm here with Gareth Dobson. Uh, Gareth, you're a Spurs fan, let's talk about it. It's been pretty weak for... Well, I mean, you fill that blank, how long has it been weak for? But certainly the last couple of weeks, there's a little uptick in improvements, and now it seems to have fallen off again.
0: Yeah, it's been weak every other game week since um, September. This this is the big problem, is that every time there's a, a good result, there's a... Right, well, you might have said baffling result, but now they're almost expected. I don't think that anyone looks at Spurs's you know week to week fixtures going. Well, that's
1: nailed on. That's nailed they're, on. They're the most they're um, the most consistent team in the league.
0: Absolutely, you know, it's because one you know one what's on. going to happen. It's exactly, it's, it's amazing. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I was a little surprised that you know Spurs went and beat Chelsea and West Ham. Um, you know, in consecutive league games, it, it's not the sort of thing that that tends to happen, and. They have an amazing ability to raise expectations at the exact point where you know it's going to depress you the most when they inevitably really fall off. Um, and Chancellor, so, you know, I was I was talking to someone about this on the um on on Saturday. They'll probably go and beat AC Milan and and progress to the uh to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and suddenly be like, oh yeah, Spurs are pushing on. Can they? Maybe they'll get something. And then what they'll do is they'll draw the least. Uh, fancy team of those remaining uh, seven plus them and then they'll lose it
1: yeah it also seems to be that they they grind harry kane into the ground uh in terms of his optimism for the future and then just at the last moment pull out a string of results and get him to sign a new contract that could well happen again this time around if i was a spurs fan gareth i've got lots of friends that support spurs they seem to be the most popular team of, of my friends for some reason I think I attract that sort of losers and uh <laughs> the uh the FA Cup game was one that would have absolutely infuriated me if I was a Spurs fan and, and that's the game that all my friends would text me about that was the one that seemed to really upset them the most it seems like Spurs actively do not want to have a shot at winning trophies and I think it's that sort of performance that sort of result that sort of mindset that bleeds into the Premier League as well what were your thoughts on the FA Cup? Because we haven't done this show for a little while, so we can go back a little bit further. What are your thoughts on that on that FA Cup run and the repercussions that that can have? Well, famously, Conte
0: is 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 a manager who allegedly sees the league as the be all and end all. is the true judge of a team's quality. You know, he's a he, he prefers the marathon to the sprint, um, and you know, therefore, if he doesn't prioritise the cups, that's it's not fine. It's his choice, but then you have to show your mettle in the league. Um I think what infuriates Spurs fans is that you know you're you're one game away from you know an exciting exciting uh you know spot in the FA Cup. You look around the other teams, there's very few, you know, premium teams left. You there's know, United and okay, well, their city. Yeah, it's United and their city. And you know, you go, Oh, well, hopefully they'll draw each other, and then you only have to beat one of these teams, both of whom you've beaten over the last few years at various points. And it's like, you know, Conte, you can be Maybe he doesn't understand that, you know, for Spurs, any trophy, you know, you'd be hailed as a hero. You know, Spurs, Spurs remember, you know, the managers who did nothing but win a a tin pot trophy. Um, And it is infuriating. And I, I think the only the only balm to that would have been if Spurs had turned up on Saturday, hammered walls and said, it's all about the league, you know. Obviously, we weren't happy about the the, the midweek, but you know we're going to go and finish fourth. We're going to push on, but there was no real sign of that. And unfortunately, Spurs they're at this this real crossroads now, where Conte won't be there in August. I'm ninety nine percent sure of that.
1: Well, I was going to ask then- you this: w- Would you not just get rid of him now? I don't. I, I feel. I just feel like I, I before Christmas thought that he's not a long term manager. He never has been for anyone. He, he's at clubs for two or three seasons at most. Spurs need more than two or three seasons and windows in order to get the players in that are good enough for Conte. Those two things aren't compatible. It's it's not going to mean winning the big things, the things that Conte prioritises in the next season or two. So I feel like we're just wasting time here. But that time probably has been wasted and it's probably gone. And I think if you look at Spurs'
0: appointments, Mourinho, and then you know, skipping over some ill-fated uh, six-month dabbles you know it's it's Conte and it's because they realized the window was closing they're like we need to maximize this this aging squad where you know three or four of their best players are now 29 30 um and so the the big question for Daniel Lee is like okay do we bring in that manager and we say right next season you know 23 24 it's it's trophy or bust or do you just say look it's It's not going to happen. We've missed the window. We need, you know, my my most hated word in football is the project. But, Mm. you know, I'm sure he's going to
1: use it. Are you going to use that word? Well, yeah, if Spurs are starting a new project, use it, um, lovely stuff.
0: Then that time, you know, should have been two years ago. And it's, I, I understand the temptation for Levy to look and say, look, you know, let's get someone who can do a quick fix. Maybe we can go one more year. But then what does that mean? You know, I I know I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth because obviously if Spurs win the FA Cup, the League Cup, you'd be like brilliant, good season. But ultimately, that would be the last trophy probably for Kane and so on, and yeah, yeah, and a few others. So and Lloris I mean Lloris probably probably won't be the first choice goalkeeper next season. We'll have
1: to see. Um, G- but give it's me a really quick
0: reached an end point
1: Give me a we could talk about this all day, but give me a quick uh, yes or no. Is Kane staying at Spurs after this summer? Yes. Okay, fine. Uh, and also, a quick word about Wolves, because actually I've been quite impressed with them since Christmas. I think they've been really, really good. Look much more compact, much more solid, and they've got a cutting edge now. They're now five points clear of relegation on 27 points. I think they're going to finish very comfortably mid-table. I don't think they're anywhere near a relegation outfit. And they've actually, in Lopetegui, got a manager that I think Spurs would be casting envious glances at.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they, they, um, they've they shored things up. They they look so much more co- more coherent than... They did previously and they have enough good players to, you know, to compete most in most matches. I I think that yeah, they're probably not the most exciting team that, that fresh on of excitement when they came up, was it three, four years ago? And it was this Portuguese revolution you know, dissipated. They've sold a lot of their good players, players like Adama Trao haven't kicked on, you know, obviously until he scores the winner on Saturday. And um, so, you know, they're building into something new and, but, I think they'll they'll have done more than enough. They've they've separated at just the right time. You you assume those those sort of five or six teams beneath them. I would be surprised if any of them catch them. But yeah, it would have to be a pretty disastrous run of form for Wolves now to even be sucked
1: in. Yeah, I I think I think they are going to be fine, and I think actually, really, really bodes well for next season. I think they'll they'll make a run for. Not not top four, top six, but certainly top ten next season. Very comfortable. Some of their players coming through. I, I love it. And s- strength and depth as well. I mean, they're bringing off Sarabia off the bench. This is mm. even without um, you know Cunha, the new striker. He he wasn't playing. Um, well, he wasn't starting at the weekend. This is these are top quality internationals. You know, this is it shows you how strong the league is as well. By the way, I mean that bottom five teams even really really strong. I don't think we've seen uh, this sort of strength and depth of lower league teams for a long time even if they're playing badly like Everton you look around their squad and there's some wonderful players in there anyway let's move on to the bit you've been looking forward to the most Gareth um Arsenal I think if we've been doing this show every week of the season I think we've probably been asking every single week Arsenal aren't actually going to win it are they so I'll ask you that I I suspect I think that tipping point for me was
0: a few weeks ago I I would say it's I've gone from, you know, laugh saying it's theirs to lose, knowing that they'd lose it, to I think that, you know, they're good enough and they've been they've been galvanized by, you know, various comebacks and good performances in, in the last month. And I suspect they're gonna comfortably see it. I mean it I was, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day as I probably do more than I wish I did. Um if I were to characterize this team it does feel a bit more Leicester than, say, Man City in, in terms of. <laughs> I'm not convinced that this is such a little be... dig, isn't it? It is, it, 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 yeah, it's dreadful. Like, oh, you know you won because you won the most games, Athletic. but I'm not sure you're really the best team. Um, <laughs> they'll win it and deservedly so, but I'm. I'd be really interested to fast forward three or four seasons and see, you know, what else they achieve. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a lot of these players will grow into it, but you know. I was talking to an Arsenal friend about, you know, which of these which of these players have that, you know, link to the club who are gonna stay forever. You know, will Odegaard say you, you you've turned my career around, you've turned me from failed Wunderkind to, to this brilliant player, or will he now be like, you know what? I'd go back to Real Madrid, try again City or buy Munich or or yeah. go back to Madrid and
1: um you know. But I don't know, know, I, I look I look at this Arsenal side and and I know obviously any team that scores a ninety-seventh minute winner having been 2-0 down, they're going to look like a, a squad of players that are together, celebrating together. But oh, yeah. actually, Arteta has has really made them into a real unit. They're, they're such a unified team. You, you feel like there's um, you know a proper... There's, there's a group of friends there that are playing football together, essentially. That's what it feels like. It might sound a bit wanky to say it, but... I honestly do believe he's he's cultivated something quite special there. Whether or not they win the league, I don't know. You, I, I feel like you're saying, yeah, they're going to win it because that's easier psychologically for you to cope with than saying, you know, it might be tight. But they look really good. I don't know if they're going to win it, by the way, still. I think they're a brilliant right. team and they've been unbelievable. But let me just run through what their fixtures are like in April. So April, they got... So bear in mind, the, they've still got Europa League and stuff, um, so it might not... Work out sequentially, but April they've got Liverpool away, West Ham away, Southampton at home, fine. City away, Chelsea at home, and we go into May. Newcastle away, Brighton, and then Forest and Wolves to finish. There are some very very difficult games in there. I think there's like a ten day period there where it sort of feels like it all rests on that. Having said that, they've been they've been good yeah. in the games with teams around them. So, don't know Gareth. I don't know. No, but I, I guess psychologically, it's probably really
0: important to know that they can lose to City, and that not define the title.
1: Yeah, yeah, they still need to. City still need to uh, win every game. Arsenal still need to drop points elsewhere, right? Yeah, and 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 that's that that
0: sort of little comfort zone is is must be really helpful. And I, I think they're going to win the league because you know they're playing as well as anyone. They're playing better than almost everyone, and. I think they've now proven that they have the you know the mental fortitude to do so. It, it is a combination of two things: it's holding your nerve and playing as well as you can for an extended period of time. And I, I think the other thing that I wasn't expecting or was doubting was the the quality of the squad and their ability to rotate. But they are bringing in players, and Arteta is changing up. He's you know he's rested in Katia, Um and there's been you know other changes he's made to cope with the the midweek fixtures, and and, and they're yeah. working out. And I think that. You know, players coming into a winning team and a system that works, and everyone knows their roles is helpful, but that, that's credit to Arteta. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. The, the strangest thing is I remember doing this podcast and I guess it was September of last season. So a year and a half ago, and they had gone into the international break. They'd lost maybe three of the first four. And I mm-hmm. was, I was convinced I was telling you that he's, he's going like, when we come back yeah, yeah. in two weeks, he's not going to be their manager. Um, and I'm still, I'm still slightly surprised they didn't do it. Like, you know, credit to the Arsenal's board for. Um, I think
1: they'll sack him this week. I think he's gone. I suspect he's gone. I'm, I'm not. Really you sure. can't. You cannot tell me that a team should have to have to rely on 97 minutes to beat Bournemouth. Get it? No, I'll it out. Simple to, as that. To me, he's
0: taken this team as far as he can.
1: Yeah, and I think get someone in who can actually win games. Uh, we've talked about the team that you would classify as your biggest rivals. So it's only fair that we'd do the same for me. As a Derby fan, let's talk about Forest Now, I don't know if you saw the uh, Forest everson game on Sunday, Gareth. Did you see any of it? Sadly, I missed it, but it looked like quite a fun romp. It's a brilliant romp. Yeah, romp is the right word. Uh, and it pains me to say it, but you know, Forest of... Forrest signed 150,000 players in the summer, and then another couple of million in the January transfer window, and yet somehow there's a, a team there. I don't know how. I don't know how Steve Cooper's managed it. There's an actual team of players who understand their roles. It looks like they're not getting angry. Um, the ones that aren't playing don't seem to be getting angry that they're not getting enough game time. There seems to be. I don't know how. I don't know how he's done it, Gareth. I thought they signed too many players, they'd be going down, no problem, I can rest easy. But actually they look really good and and Everton definitely are a better team under Dyche and look like they should have won that game quite comfortably just from the first sort of hour of the game. But they've got some spirit for us and and in Brennan-Johnson they've got a really excellent attacking player who I don't think will be at the club for too much longer... Um, what have you seen of Forest this season, Gareth? And what do you rate their chances? Bearing in mind that they're actually in in quite a nice position at the minute, uh, they're clear of the relegation zone only by four points, uh, but they got a game in hand over Everton, who who had taken up that place. So they they remind me a little bit of Crystal Palace um, okay. when they established themselves
0: over the last five six years, and the, it's the City ground is not a fun place to go and play. I don't think I, you know. It's uh, definitely now it's you know, it used to be one of those vast grounds where you held FA Cup semi-finals, but now I think it's seen as a bit of a bit of a hot box. And um, it's. I think that gives them an advantage. I, I think that, you know, the manager does, he just has them well-drilled. It's it's one of those sort of boring answers where you go, well, organized teams who have a bit of quality about them will will ultimately probably be better than, you know, teams with theoretically
1: better players who are a mess. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I think it's uh, it devastates me to say this but I think Forrest are, are pretty decent. They do have the occasional blip where they can see three or four, but it's uh it's not as common as I'd like. No, anyway, I mean, that's I, sorry the oh, other
0: thing Bob? I would very quickly say is like some of those players signings have have better than I I think you can see you know there are there are certain favorites already. Aurier's had a good year. I know mm-hmm. that he's you know a bit of a a bit of a madhouse. Uh, he's not always the most Favourable character, but he's a very good attacking defender. um He's got a lot of bad. Mo- I think bringing Felipe in, and a lot of people doubted him because he is one of the slower centre backs they could have bought at the time. Where I think the shout was more mobility at the back, and you know, again, an- another very good player. I-, I think you can show that the Premier League can shop at the top of other divisions.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, look at Gibbs White was over forty million quid for a team that's just come up. Absolutely. It's absurd And, and you It know, looks quality.
0: We, we talk about uh I think you know Sporting uh, Sporting Lisbon for example, you know great team, best team in their league, good Champions League team and and they've been selling players to mid-tier Premier League teams yeah. and below and that shows that you know even Nottingham Forest quote unquote can go and bring in quality and if you make
1: the right decisions your your team can stay afloat. This, the Super League is already underway, and it's the Premier League. And I don't think I have much pleasure saying that. Actually, I think it sort of ruins European football. Anyway, on that positive note, uh, let's end there. Thank you, Gareth, uh, for coming and doing this. Is it an inaugural show, inaugural Whistleblowers Weekly show? I guess it is. It's the relaunch. Yeah, the 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 yeah. Let's let's call it the inaugural uh,
0: show of the rebirth. Oh, yeah.
1: right, well, thanks for doing it. Have you got anything to plug? Uh, go and
0: see Gold Panda out on tour in the next few months. He's doing lots of shows, and um, there's a new soundtrack by Griff Rees for a movie called The Almond and the, and the Seahorse, which um is worth picking up on beautiful vinyl. Lots of
1: music. Great. All right. Nice one, Gareth. Uh, we'll be back in some shape or form next Monday with more Whistleblowers Weekly. I'm going to call it Whistleblowers Weekly. That sounds nice. Nice.